And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order, you know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. Eagle Whistler. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, pull the covers up close for a scary story as told on the Hall of Fantasy from 1953. Then it's part one of a comedy episode of The Life of Riley starring William Bendix from 1944. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. That's you, Lisa. It's me, and I'm always right here, so you don't have to worry. How's the dimples doing? Pretty yeah, good? Yeah, they're good. Nice. They're feeling You're not really going to have those surgically removed? Would you want me to? No. They, uh, they're they kind of your calling card, you know? Really? Yeah. See, I never thought about yes. that So you pointed it out every week. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> they look great. Yeah, I think it's because you smile so much. Mm-hmm. Lisa yeah. has a smile in her voice. You know, uh, you got this gig because you have a smile on your voice. You I, know that, I, right? I've, I've heard that. Yeah. We used to have a producer once that told me to stop smiling when I talk. Yeah. Do you believe that? I, I remember he that. He actually said, stop smiling when you talk. Yes. And that was why he she... He said, that's not good radio. You know, she... When I first heard your voice, it was on the phone. Yes. Because I didn't meet you in person until you came in for... The audition. To audition. Yep. She auditioned for a Twilight Zone radio drama. Did I get the job? And you got the job. Okay. But but at that same time, I was starting this show. Yes. And I heard her on the phone, and you made me laugh. I don't remember. It was I'm funny. Sure. She was lost. That's what it well, was. I, I'm always lost. You were lost driving to the studio, remember? Yeah. And you I, called, and you're like, I'm lost. The and studio she's was in, like, up. the corner of the world somewhere. But wait, you're cracking up that you were lost. And I'm like, this well, seems like a fun person oh yeah you know and then she came in that's better than crying and i was like i was like wow she's this is a really fun person you know and she's got this big smiley face and and uh, and i'm always lost and nothing's new with giant uh, dimples yes and that's very important for the radio and then that's it we've been that's it we've we've been been together since 1902 yeah since ought to yeah Yeah. ought to all right it's time for you ready for a good mystery let's do it the hall of fantasy there were several series under the hall of fantasy banner all produced by the same guy richard thorne the first originated from radio station kall in salt lake city utah richard thorne and carl grayson fellow carl were announcers for the station and co-produced the rather bare-bones horror series beginning in 1946. Written or adapted by Robert Olson and directed by Thorne, the stories were mostly murder mysteries with traditional endings. In 1947, this first series ended when Thorne and Grayson went their separate ways. The Hall of Fantasy was revived in 1949 when, by pure coincidence, Thorne and Grayson found themselves working together at WGN in Chicago. 
1952, the Hall of Fantasy went nationwide over the Mutual Network with Thorne writing original stories and adapting classics of literature like The Cask of Amontillado and The Telltale Heart. Okay, it's time now for the Hall of Fantasy, a good story going back to March 16, 1953. This is called The Night the Fog Came. It stars Richard Thorne. Here's part one of the Hall of Fantasy. And now... The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the series of radio dramas dedicated to the supernatural, the unusual, and the unknown. Come with me, my friends. We shall descend to the world of the unknown and forbidden, down to the depths where the veil of time is lifted, and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of The Night the Fog Came. Ah! Help me! Help me! Ah! It came from my right. We'd better take a look. Come on. We're getting close to the lake. It's only this fog. Wait a minute. There. Right there. Let's take a look. I hope he's all right. Throw him over. All right. He's dead. I know. You realize how he died? What do you mean? Look at him closer, Hal. His clothes aren't wet. Even his hair isn't wet. But look at the water trickling from his mouth. This man died less than a minute ago on dry land, 200 yards from the lake. And he died by drowning. And now for our story, an original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne entitled The Night the Fog Came. If the theory of evolution is correct, then there is a connection between the minute organisms which are found to be living in water and life as we know it today. But what connection with us did those things have which came from out of the fog? What connection with human life did those horrible creatures who came from the depths have... And what is their purpose? Why did they suddenly appear and destroy, then vanish as suddenly as they had come? I shall tell you as much as I know about it. Listen to the tale of The Night the Fog Came. The first inkling of their existence came to us as we were going through some routine research. I dropped over to the lab to see Hal. Harold Enroth was perhaps one of the foremost men in his field. Our friendship stretched back for many years. I'd been away for a while, and so I dropped in at the lab to see him one morning. Jeff, you old dog, you're a sight for sore eyes. How are things going, Hal? Fine, couldn't be better. How'd you like your vacation? I can't wait till next year. I hated to come back. You know, Jeff, I'm glad you dropped in. I, I have a little problem. Oh? What is it, money? No, not that. Here, I'll show you. Pull those blinds, will you? Uh, sure. Yeah, that's fine. There you are. I have a specimen here on the slide. I want you to take a look at it. Go ahead. Turn the projector on. All right. There. What do you think of that? Hmm. I don't know. It looks like some form of water life. I don't think I've ever seen it before. This has been enlarged a hundred times. There's no use trying to recognize what it is. It's a form of water life completely unknown to us. A new form of life. 
Where did you get this? It's a specimen of water one of our field researchers took from the westernmost tip of Lake Superior, somewhere near the Wisconsin-Minnesota border. Have you contacted anyone else about it? No. Why not? Well, it's... Come on, come on. Don't try to avoid telling me, Hal. We know each other too well for all right, that. All right, all right. Listen to me, Jeff. All right? Everything I say is fact. I've conducted countless tests to discover what I do know about this form of life. That thing is able to reproduce itself. A hydrotype? Possibly. That's beside the point right now. What's more important, all trace of the other organisms, organisms in that drop of water has disappeared. Are you serious? Of course I am. And another thing, there was a little mist hovering above what was left of the water. A, a mist? That's what I call it. Something like fog. Well, that's impossible. No, it's not. I know that when the water evaporated, it should have been dispersed into the air. Eventually it was, but not for several hours. Oh, I'm sorry, Hal. I still... Here, I'll show you. We have a little of the water left. It's over here in this jar. You can see for yourself. Well, it looks just like ordinary water. I know it does. But believe me when I say it isn't. Now, it'll take just about three minutes... happening? I can't believe my eyes. See that little cloud of misty vapor beginning to form like fog? Yes. But what causes it? I wish I knew. Our field men say the conditions up there are getting to be unbearable. The whole area for a hundred square miles is almost covered completely by this fog. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going up there myself. Jeff, if I send for you, will you join me? Of course. I may need you. I may need everyone I can get. It's begun to prey on my mind, Jeff. Somehow I think there's something in back of this. Something the likes of which the world has never seen. Something evil. Hal went up there the afternoon of the morning I had seen him. At first he wrote that the reports had been exaggerated. Then he discovered that all traces of the new form of life had disappeared. He decided to return. I was quite glad to get that letter from Hal. Before he had gone up there, he had been quite worried... The only thing I couldn't understand was what had become of the new water life form. The day before he was to return to the city... Hello? Jeff, this is Hal. Where are you? I thought you... I had them put me through direct to you. Jeff, I need your assistance. What's the matter? I've already called Arnold Simpson and Jack Rackle. They've agreed to come. I need you too, Jeff. Just as soon as you can possibly make it. Don't worry, Hal. I'll be there. Remember, as soon as you can possibly make it. I knew Arnold Simpson, and he and I went up together. The train left Chicago and headed north, and then slightly west over Illinois and Wisconsin. Simpson and I talked it over on our way up there. Hal talked to you before he left, didn't he, Arnold? Yes, he did. I never had enough time to get up to his lab so he could show me what it was, but his words were description enough. Frankly, I'm worried. In what way? Jeff, why should a new form of water life suddenly appear? Why should it destroy everything with which it comes into contact? And why should the mist or the fog appear to be so dense and heavy? I don't know. That's just the trouble we don't know. Where has this form of life been, or did it just develop? What's its reason for being here? Perhaps we'll find the answers to those questions when we get there, Arnold. Perhaps. But I'm convinced of this much, Jeff. Whatever it is, whatever that fog is hiding, poses a new problem for us. A problem which may be unsolvable. And which could very well 
destroy the human race. Simpson seemed disinclined to talk, so we spent the remainder of the trip in silence. Both of us lost in our thoughts. We arrived at the town and then hired a car to take us to the little village where we would find Hal Enron. The closer we came to our final destination, the darker the sky became, and the air was heavy with a mist which was both damp and clammy. It was an old rickety car, and the roads were little better than the ground on either side of it. The car stopped a few hundred feet from our destination. You gotta walk the rest of the way. But you said you'd drive us all Look, away. mister, I come farther than I was going to in the first place. I ain't no mood to go into the woods up there. If you're going to go, then you walk in. Jeff, can't you do something? I don't think so. Here's your pay. Thanks. Let's go, Arnold. It could be worse, Arnold. I suppose so. He seemed genuinely afraid. Aren't you? A little. Hey, we must be pretty close to the lake. I've never seen the fog this thick. It's un- unnatural. Eventually, we made it up to the house. Hal was there waiting for us and showed us where we would sleep. Through the window, I could see that the fog seemed to be getting thicker. That's an eerie, lonely sound. You get used to it after you've been here for a while. Hal, you wrote me that this fog, the new form of life, had disappeared. It had. But two days ago, it suddenly reappeared. And with it, the fog returned. Then there must be a connection between the two. Yes, but what? I haven't any idea. Look, I have to go down to the village for some food. We don't have enough here to feed four of us. Will you come with me, Jeff? Certainly. We'll be right back, Arnold. It's only about a mile away near the lake. Go ahead. That trip made me tired. I think I'll take a nap. The house in which we were staying was on a high level of ground which tapered off on the side facing the lake. It was only three in the afternoon, but it looked almost as dark as late evening. And there was something about that cloudy mist. It was cold and clammy and smelled strongly of the lake. I don't see how you were able to stand it up here by yourself. Well, I had a lot of things to interest me. It was all ready to meet you at the station, but then when I got your call, I didn't know what to think. I wish I could understand this, Jeff. The fog disappeared when the water life disappeared. When signs of the strange new form of life showed again, the fog came back. Why? Maybe we can find the answer to that. And I hope so. The sound of that foghorn does get on your nerves. Yes, I can imagine it would. You know, if this were a clear day, you could see the village from here. Oh? Actually, it's just a tiny resort town for fishermen and hunters. And it's located right on the westernmost tip of the lake. Imagine it must... Ah! Help it! Help it! Ah! It came from our right. We'd better take a look. Come on. We're getting close to the lake. It's only this fog. Wait a minute. There. Right there. Let's take a look. I hope he's all right. All right. Roll him over. Okay. He's dead. I know. But do you realize how he died? What do you mean? Look at him closer, Hal. His clothes aren't wet. Even his hair isn't wet. But look at the water trickling from his mouth. This man died less than a minute ago on dry land, 200 yards from the lake. And he died by drowning. Sure, he drowned. There must be a doctor down at the village. Let's take him down there and see what the doctor says. Only I'm sure he'll agree with me. 
carried the man down to the village. Luckily for us, he was a slight build, not too heavy. It took us almost half an hour to get him down there. When we finally did arrive, it took another few minutes to locate the doctor. What do you think, Doctor? Get them out. All right. Will you uh, please wait outside? The doctor can't work with you in here. He's just like all the others, ain't he, Doc? Please wait outside. Thank what, you. What did he mean by he's just like all the others, Doctor? Just what he said. Ever since this fog has settled down again, five people have died. All in the same way? Yes. You, you mean by drowning? That's right. I can't understand how this man we found could die by drowning when he wasn't in the water. No, he reached him about a minute after he screamed. How could he drown? Professor Enroth, I've been asking myself that same question about all the others. I've been almost half insane these past two days trying to find the solution. And Dr. Craig, this fog, has it always been like this in the area? No, not until about two months ago. Which coincides with the time we first discovered that new form of water life. What did you say? Uh, nothing, Doctor. We're doing a little research work up here, that's all. This keeps up. I'm afraid of what might happen. I've never seen anything like it before. The fog, those deaths. How can they be explained? We don't know, Doctor. We just don't know. When we got back to the house, we discovered that Simpson had indeed taken a nap. Our arrival must have awakened him, for as we entered, he came slowly down the stairs from the second floor. Need any help? No, we can manage, but come out to the kitchen with us. What's the matter with you two? We found a dead man on our way to the village. Are you serious? Just set those bags on the table. All right. Oh, I'm not joking, Arnold. We heard a scream. It took us about a minute to get to him. He was dead when we got there. A knife? Drowned. What? On dry land. 200 yards from the lake. You must be insane. No, it's the truth, Arnold. And there have been four other deaths just like it. When did they happen? In the last two days. Since the fog reappeared. That's right. Then there is a definite connection between this fog and the new life form you've discovered, Hell. That's right. But what's the connection? We'd gotten back to the house about six o'clock. It was about seven that it happened. Simpson said he was going outside for a minute. He opened the door. I just want to get outside for a minute. Good heavens. What's wrong? Take a look. The fog, it's so thick. I've never seen anything like that before. Shut the door. Some of it's getting inside. It's moving along the floor. Just Shut just the like... door. Did you see it? Yes. The fog. Just like it was alive. Moving like, like a living thing. Creeping along the floor. Simpson had opened the door. The fog crept into the house in little wisps that curled and snaked this way and that. It looked like a thing alive. You saw it, didn't you, Hell? Yes, I saw it. What does it mean? I'm afraid of what it means. You mean you... you know? I hope I'm wrong, but I'm afraid I'm not. It's just possible that this form of life is developed from something that was present in the water all the time. The great brute animals ruled the world before man appeared and then were destroyed. Eventually, mankind wrested the supremacy of the earth from the other animal and plant life. Perhaps the cycle is to continue. Perhaps, after man, this new form of life. As the minutes passed by, we noticed that little slips of the fog began inching their way through every opening of the house. It was Simpson who pointed down at the bottom of the door and first brought it to our attention. 
We began to plug up all the openings in the house. At first, we did it slowly, but as time passed, we worked faster and more feverishly. No matter how tired we became, we had to finish the job or the fog might claim the house, too. It was too quiet. The only thing we heard was the distant, monotonous call of the foghorn. And then Hal broke the silence. Do you know why this fog is so thick? I wish I did. This might be insane, but it has to be the answer. That fog is carrying moisture, a lot of it, perhaps enough to also carry this new form of life. To move it from place to place, to spread it even farther. To kill everything which stands in its way. That might be it. It is, I'm sure it is. Well, in that case, what happened to break it up the first time? And that's the solution to the problem. I don't know what it is, but it did break it up the first time. It drove it back, down to the depths from where it came. That's why there was no sign of it in the water. That came from right outside the house. Racco. He said he was going to arrive this evening. We better take a look. Uh, bring the flashlight. Right, let's go. That light can carry more than a few feet. It's so wet out here. Over there, look. Little pinpoints of light dancing up and down, all clustered together. That must be it. Come on. It's spreading out. All right, look. There, on the ground. It's Racco. The same way. The same way as the other one. Specks of dancing luminescence had withdrawn from Rakow's body, but now we noticed that there seemed to be more of them. We carried the body back to the house. We'd forgotten to close the door behind us, and some of the fog had gotten inside. It wasn't too bad, however, by little it began to disperse. Look out that window. Yes, I see them. Gathering together with a whole mass, getting larger and larger all the time. Separating like the Hydra. It must be destroyed. Yes, but how? They created the fog. That must be the only way they can travel on land. They must have a basic water carrier. Have you realized what this means? What are you getting at? The area this fog now covers is a hundred square miles. Every animal in this area may lose its life. And then what happens? They divide again and again and again. And the area of the fog keeps getting larger all the time. If it isn't stopped now, while we still have a chance, it may never be stopped. And I ask you the same question, Simpson. How? I don't know. Someone's outside. Let him in quickly. They're moving towards the house. I didn't think I'd make it. It's a miracle that you did. Sit down, Doctor. Thank you. I was out of your call on my way back to town. I noticed how thick the fog was. And then I noticed the animals lying dead in the forest. The smell of their death was in the air. I continued on towards the town. And then I saw the bodies lying just where they had fallen. The whole town seemed to be covered by a strange luminescent mass which in some manner moved. I was afraid. Then I thought of you people in this house and I got here as soon as I could. I don't know how long we'll be able to withstand them, Doctor. I'm sure the townspeople are dead now. In fact, almost every living creature in the area must be dead. But what is it? What caused it? If we get out of this alive, Doctor, we'll tell you. Look outside. It must have split again. It's twice the size it was. What are we going to do? Look under the doorway. They're getting through. Lock it up. Use some newspaper. Close anything. We've got to get out of it. Constant opening and closing of the door. Loosen the other things we had down there. I think that would do. Look. The things that did get in. First you see their light and then they're gone. That's the first portion of the Hall of Fantasy. We'll get back to it after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, Gunsmoke. I'm that man. 
Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. This, dearie, is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com. And receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now let's get back to the Hall of Fantasy. What happens to them? Perhaps we can't see them. Or perhaps they die. Hell, wait a minute. Your first letters to me mentioned the fact that the mist had been dispersed. What caused it? I don't know. Doctor, you're a native of these parts. Yes. I want you to tell me about anything unusual which happened that day. Well, I don't remember anything about that day particularly. I, I remember I was quite pleased to see that the fog had lifted. It was a beautiful day. Unseasonably warm. In fact, the, the sun was quite hot. Heat. I wonder if... If what, Jeff? These things. These hydrotype creatures must die in the heat. This house is quite warm. The day the fog was dispersed was warm with a bright sun. Perhaps that's the answer. Doctor, is there any fire break around this area? Well, there was one cut through the trees several years ago. Yes, in case of a fire, a bad one in the heavy timberlands. Everyone was instructed to get into this area. In other words, there's a complete fire break around this entire area. Yes, it comprises about 150 square miles. And that's it. It's the only chance we have. We'll burn out this area and hope it drives them back. There's some oil downstairs. Get it. We'll start the fire here and hope it sets fire to the trees surrounding this house. Be right back. We'll have to make a run for it once this place is on fire. We may not come out of this alive, but we can try. The last Good. Oh, everybody knows what... You'd better light it. Those things outside, they're going to get in. Each man will carry a torch. Yes. All right, light your torches. All right. And then set fire to this house. All right. Lighting mine. All right. And yours now. All right. One more. All right. Uh, under the door. They're pouring in under the door. Set the house on fire. Let's get out of here. caught hold and the entire area was burned out. A week later, the smoke had cleared and the fire was out. There was no sign of the fog which had meant death to so many things. I had caught a glimpse of the doctor. He had dropped his torch and it had gone out. He was immediately engulfed in those luminescent killers. I'm going back up there with Enroth and Simpson. Though there is now no trace of those things in the water, still we know they lurk somewhere waiting for their moment. We must destroy them once and for all before that moment arrives. So runs tonight's tale of the unusual, the terrifying, the unknown. Join us again when next we journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy. 
to hear another strange tale of the supernatural. All characters and events portrayed in these programs are fictional, and any similarity to actual events or persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. And that's the Hall of Fantasy from March 16, 1953, with The Night the Fog Came, starring Richard Thorne, as heard on the Mutual Broadcasting System. Hope you enjoyed that. Lisa, you ready for a good comedy now? Uh, what you have in mind, Carl? The Life of Riley. You I'll like take these? It. it was created by Irving Brecker. The Life of Riley starred William Bendix as Chester A. Riley, and it came to radio in 1944. Riley was an airplane riveter and devoted family man. His frequent exclamation of indignation, what a revolting development this is, became a popular catchphrase. Riley's wife Peg was played by Paula Winslow, and their children, Babs and Junior, were played by Sharon Douglas, Scotty Beckett, and Conrad Binion. Riley's best friend and co-worker, who often got him into sticky situations, was Jim Gillis, played by versatile actor John Brown. Brown also doubled as the town's friendly undertaker, Digby O'Dell, Digger for short, where Gillis gave Riley bad advice that got him into trouble. Digger gave him good advice that, as Digger, helped him out of a hole. The series made the leap to the silver screen and to television in 1949. On TV, Jackie Gleason starred as Riley for its initial season, with Bendix reclaiming the role for six seasons thereafter. Time now for part one of The Life of Riley. This is from the first year it was on the air, September 24th, 1944. This is called Sidney Monaghan Calls on Peg. It stars William Bendix. Here's part one of The Life of Riley. Here he is, folks. You howled at him when he played the Marine in Wake Island. You cried with him in Lifeboat. Hollywood's magnificent mug. Looks ain't everything. Brains is important, too. Now, take me. I got more brains in my little finger than I got in my whole head. (laughs) (laughs) William Bendix in The Life of Riley. Tonight and every Sunday night, the American Meat Institute, on behalf of all those engaged in supplying meat to the nation, presents The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. After a month of living in a little rented houseboat, the Rileys are back in their little bungalow in town. It's Sunday, war worker Riley's day off. The brilliant California sunshine is streaming into the living room of their bungalow where we find Riley sprawled out on a mohair couch. Riley? Riley? Oh, uh, uh, Dumplin'. Uh... Are you going to waste the whole day just lying around here? Huh? Oh, no, no, of course not. I, I got lots to do. I, I'm going places. Hmm, where, for instance? Well, uh, first I'm going out in the backyard and sit around for a while, and then I'm going next door to little Waldo Benny's and sit around there for a while, and... Then I'm going over to the BPLA clubhouse and sit around there for a while, and by that time I'll be pretty tired out, so I'll come home here and sit around for a while. Well, that's a fine way to spend your day off. Well, what else is there to do, Dumplin'? Well, I thought that as long as the children will be at the beach until late, I sort of thought the two of us might make a night of it. You know, go out to dinner, take in a movie. Oh, movies. They're too crowded on Sunday nights. We always have to wait in the lobby, and I can't sleep standing up. <laughs> Oh, Riley, you never want to go. I'm afraid you're getting old. Well, hello, uh, Mrs. Riley. Yeah, yeah, she's here. Who's who's, who's calling? Mr. Monahan. Well, well, just a minute. Thank you. <laughs> For you, it's a gentleman friend there, Mr. Monahan. <laughs> Monahan. Uh, I don't know any Monahan. 
hello. Oh, yes, this is Peggy. Well, who is it, please? Peggy, hey, what is this? Sidney Monaghan! Well, of all people. Well, dear, it's Sidney Monaghan. You know, Butch from Brooklyn. Butch? That foul boy from Ebbets Field? <laughs> <laughs> Why, of course I remember you, Sidney. <laughs> A girl doesn't forget an old flame. Uh, what's he calling you for? Why, it's wonderful to hear from you again, Sidney. Tell me all about yourself. Oh, uh, just a minute. Um, Riley, I, I think the coffee's boiling over in the kitchen. Will you go and see, dear? No, no, no it ain't. I turned the gas off. You... <laughs> yes, yes, I'm here, Sidney. Yes, I'm listening. You didn't. Oh, you're a darling. Darling? Hey, Peg, I'm the only darling around here. <laughs> oh, be quiet. Sorry. Oh, oh, no, no, not you, Sidney. Uh, <laughs> oh, go on with your butching. <laughs> you always wear a fresh thing. <laughs> Tell them about Babs and Junior, our two children. Tell them. Oh, now, you shouldn't say things like that, Sidney. <laughs> Remember, I'm an old married woman now. Right, uh, Peg, the, the, the coffee's boiling over. Hang up on it. <laughs> what? Oh, oh, that's just my husband. Just my husband. Hang up, Peg. I, I'm expecting a call. Get that Why, of course I want to see you before you leave. Tonight? Well, I, I think so. I haven't got anything planned. Yes, I, I think I can make it. All right, call me later, Sidney. Goodbye. Uh, uh, what? Oh, oh, surely. Oh, he wants to talk to you, dear. I, I, I ain't got nothing to say to that guy, and I don't want to hear it. Uh, Riley, don't be rude. Just say hello to him. Uh, well, well, okay, give me the phone. Hello, Monaghan. Nice to hear from you. Goodbye. <laughs> right. <laughs> Might have been a little more polite. That big ape. Remember when he tried to flirt with you before we was married? I had to punch him in the nose. I ain't forgotten that. Dear, it was Butch who punched you in the nose. Uh, I ain't forgotten that either. Well, anyway, that was 18 years ago. I'm sure Butch has no grudge against you. Well, he should have. I took you away from him, didn't I? <laughs> Why, Riley, I, I believe you're still jealous of Butch. Jealous? Jealous? Me? <laughs> Hey, Peg, what was that about seeing him tonight, Well, he wants us to come over and talk about old times. He's going back to Brooklyn tomorrow. I ain't going to see him. I got nothing to talk about. Oh, Riley, you're acting like a schoolboy. There's only one thing I got to say to Butch Monahan, and it's the same thing Horace Greeley said. Go east. <laughs> Riley, after all, Butch... I don't want to hear another word in that final. Riley, you're... And not... I ain't jealous. <laughs> You, uh, taking the air? Oh, I think I'm getting it. <laughs> I don't understand. Tell me, Waldo, how, how long you've been married? Five years. Five long years. <laughs> Five long years too long. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you can help me, Waldo. I, I got a problem on my head. It's, it, it's about marriage and women, you know. Well, you come for the right man. <sighs> Oh, I'm quite an authority on the female of the species. There's three of them living in my house. 
Three? Yeah. My wife, my wife's aunt, and her French poodle. <laughs> oh, I learned a lot studying them. Oh, well, then maybe you can advise me. Only forget what you learned from the French poodle. I yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, what's the problem? Well, this morning, uh, Butch Monahan, an old, old boyfriend of Peg's from Brooklyn, yeah. has the nerve to call up and ask to see her. My wife. Aha, uh -huh, and you're jealous. Jealous? Me? No, this guy don't mean a thing to Peg as long as she's got me. She likes me lots better than most of the men she knows. <laughs> I'm not jealous, so. Riley, you aren't deceiving me. You're worried. No, I, I ain't worried. Uh, only Peg shouldn't have been so happy when she heard his voice. She hears my voice every day, and she's never that happy. <laughs> Mr. Riley, I'm afraid that you don't understand women. You know, there's an art to making a woman happy. Well, sure there is. You don't have to tell me. You fix them up in a little house, lots of closet space. You tell them they're the best cooks in the world and slip in your pay envelope every week. What more does a woman want? Uh-huh. Riley, I'm going to be brutally frank. Uh, I see it's happened to you, just as it's happened to millions of other husbands. Why? You take your wife for granted. Who? Me? Hmm. A woman doesn't like to be chained to the stove all the time. She likes her husband to take her out and show her a good time. Well, I take Peg out for a good time every Saturday night regular. I take her to watch me bowl. <laughs> doesn't she find that a little dull? No, well, when she gets bored watching the match, she takes out her knit, knit needle and knits me socks. Ah, uh, bowling socks. Didn't you ever take her out to dinner at a swell restaurant, a show, fancy? Sure, dozens of times, and then we got married. <laughs> well, that's just it. Now, what about after marriage? Uh, now, you know, women are romantic creatures. They like attention, uh, little courtesies, flattery. They want to be courted constantly. Yeah, I uh, You know what, Waldo? No. I've been taking Peg for granted. No. Waldo... You don't think that maybe Peg don't love me no more? Oh, I wouldn't say that, no. No, no. but it could happen if you don't change your attitude. Yeah, you're right. I'm changing my whole personality. During the day, I'll be Riley the Riveter, but at night, I'm Riley the Romeo. Yeah. I thought you'd gone to your BPLA meeting. No, Dublin. The Brooklyn Patriots of Los Angeles can wait. First, I, uh, first I wanted to see you, Dublin. Oh, what's that you're holding behind your back? Oh, just some roses I bought. Who's sick? <laughs> Nobody's sick. I, I bought them for you. you Here. For, for me? Yeah. Why, Riley, I... Five dollars worth of American beauty. Oh, my. Well, they're, they're lovely, dear, but, but why oh, are there... there's a card there. Here, read what it says. Oh, see. Um, American Beauties for the Queen of America's Beauties. <laughs> <laughs> Romantic, huh? <laughs> oh, Riley, you're a darling. Oh, that ain't all. I, I got something in my other hand. Here, 
A two-and-a-half-buck box of McGuire's French bonbons. Oh, bonbons. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, Ronnie, I, I just don't know what to say. Well, now, don't say nothing. Just pucker up. That's on account. On account of I love you. And there's lots more where that came from, Peggy Pie. Peggy Pie. <laughs> Why, dear. Oh, you haven't called me that in years. Remember the first time I called you that? Of course I do. We were standing looking in the window of Dingle's Bakery. <laughs> All of a sudden, it, it, it popped into my head. Peggy Pie. I, I don't know what made me think of it. <laughs> oh, dear, I really appreciate the flowers and bonbons, but what's the occasion? I don't need no occasion to be nice to my wife. I, I ain't like a million other husbands. I'm the romantic type. I believe in courting the girl you love before, during, and after marriage. <laughs> well, dear, you... You've made me very happy. Oh, well, now I better get started on our supper. Uh -huh, no, no, nothing to it. No wife of mine is going to bend over a hot stove if I can help it. Uh. Mm -hmm. Silly, I've been doing it for 18 years. I, I know, but tonight that stove deserves a rest. I, 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 I mean, you... <laughs> so, so tonight I'm taking you out. Now, that's a promise. Oh, dear, that's wonderful. I I've been dying to step up. Well, it's all set. As soon as I get back from my lodge meeting, we'll get going. Taxis, restaurants, shows, dancing. I'm shooting the work. I got $4 that's burning a hole in my pocket. All right, gang, start the meeting. Your next president's here. Hey, Riley, you're late. I can me has been waiting for you. Come on, we gotta go. Yeah, wait, well, well, wait a minute, Snooker. Where are we going? What, what, what about the meeting? Well, the meeting was adjourned before it started. We're going to a party at Sheik Evans's place. What do you mean? Sheik's in the army. He's in Burma or something. He was. He just flew into town just for a couple hours. He's throwing a big spread for all the guys. Sure, let's get da, going. Da, da, wait a minute now. Don't confuse my brain. What time will we get back from the sheet? Oh, three, four in the morning. Who cares? Come on, let's well, scram. Okay, but I, I got to go home first and get my wife. I'm no, James Riley, this is strictly sex. Oh, well, then I can't go. You got to go. Everybody's gone. Sure, after all, it was Sheik who started the BPLA, and now you're running for president of the lodge. It's your duty. Yeah, yeah I, I know, but I already got an important date. For with who? With, uh, uh, with, with my wife. I, I got a date with my wife. Did you have any trouble getting it? Uh, <laughs> Since when is taking the missus out a date? Sure, you can take her out any time. Sure, call it off. No, I, I can't sure do that. Sure you just... can. I had a date with my missus, but I called it off. Just like that, you... Yeah, I gave her 22 cents to go to the movie. <laughs> yeah, and I dumped my ball and chin with the in-laws. Let them suffer for a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I know, but I, I'm different from you guys. You guys take your wives for granted. I, I can't call it off. I... Why, are you afraid of your conscience? Oh, my conscience ain't said a word to me. I run my own business. Now, phone up your wife. Go on, you're scared. No, I ain't scared. What a character. Scared of his own wife. Yeah. <laughs> and Peck Riley. Now, <laughs> uh, wait a minute now. Cut it out, fellas. You got me wrong. I wear the pants in my house. Yeah, don't give us that. In my house, what I say, go. All right, then. Phone the missus up and say you ain't taking her out. Well, sure, okay. I'll phone her. I'll show you guys. Hey, Riley, where you going? I'm going downstairs to use the phone. What for? We got a phone right here, and it's free, too. Uh, uh, yeah. I love home. That's the way. And don't take no finance. Ah, uh, you just leave it to me. I'll be putty in her hand. Hello? Oh, hello, Dumplin'. 
Get a load of that dumpling. Dumpling. I, I, I mean to... Hello, Margaret. Oh, is that you, dear? Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this program to bring you a bulletin from the Blue Network newsroom in Los Angeles. American warships frustrated a Japanese attempt to reinforce their beleaguered forces on Peleliu Island. The Americans destroyed a Jap convoy of 14 vessels, some of them carrying men and equipment. The Japanese losses were heavy. This bulletin came to you from the Blue Network newsroom in Los Angeles. That's the first portion of The Life of Riley from 1944 with Sidney Monaghan Calls on Peg, starring William Bendix. Let's take a break, then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, we'll have the conclusion to The Life of Riley from 1944. Then it's Inner Sanctum Mystery starring Agnes Moorhead. You won't want to miss that. Lisa and I and Mike will be back on our next show. We sure hope you will, too. See you next time.